I still can't believe you ate your kids' Easter eggs. Have you finished them all yet? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Way before Easter. <laughs> Did when, when I was a kid, I used to eat tiny, tiny bits and make them last for months and months and months. Have you never done that? No. Right. <laughs> no, I don't. I just eat the whole thing in one bloody set. The Fuji cast. That's the way to eat Easter eggs now. Anyway, welcome to episode 10 of the Fuji cast. This week, thank you to our friends at Simpler Straps. We've still got them here. Look, the red one's still in the pack and we still haven't sent it, which we must do because yep. we promised, didn't we? I did. A couple I of weeks did. ago that we were going to send this to Patrick LaRock. Yeah, I'll get it to him. Yeah. Um, so the questions of the week, if your question is a question of the week, you get a free strap on us. Thank you very much. Your questions about anything Fujifilm or photography related, technical, geek-worthy, artistic, even personal click at fujicast.co.uk is that address there's our self-indulgent minute uh, today's guest interview is tom stoddart known for his work in the serbian bosnian war and his coverage of famine in africa the collapse of the berlin war in fact the list is endless his work is superb today he lives in a quieter part of the world newcastle but his, his advice of photographers absolutely gold so in the second half we're going to be, be talking about getting in close using shorter focal lengths and having the courage to work on uh, you know much much closer to folks so you actually don't use the 24 though do you you're, you're more uh, of a I use a 23mm lens which is sorry uh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking in old language again sorry yeah. you don't use the 16 you use the no I do actually I do use the 16 very occasionally and I'm interested in getting my hands on the 16mm f2.8 the new oh, one the new one yeah uh, I haven't, uh, haven't I haven't seen it or, or, or had it at all yet so um, I am quite interested to see what that happens I'm, I may have to uh, dig deep into my pockets and purchase that soon is it expensive that one I don't think so. I think it's one. It's one of the F two uh, weather sealed ranges, so they tend to be a bit cheaper um, than the than the big kind of metal lenses. Right. So uh, I'm guessing it's probably around four hundred and fifty pounds, something okay. like that. But I don't know. You've been in Bristol doing a street course. I've never ever been to uh, not Bristol. Sorry, you've been in Brighton, Brighton, Brighton doing yeah. a street course. Yeah, I've never ever been to Brighton um, to 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 photograph. Um, when it's not been raining. Yeah. I was going to say, that's not true, because I was with you there last year, but yeah, then no, you no. caveated it with when it's not raining. Three or four times now, I've either filmed or photographed in Brighton. Every single time it's been blowing a hoolie and raining. Well, it was lovely. We were there last week. Uh, really, really nice. I love Brighton. They've done, you know, I mean, I remember going there back in the 80s, and it was a little bit of a bit of a wreck um but they've they've uh they've really changed that city stand by for the comments on that yeah one. yeah and uh well dear mr Mullins. same same thing happened to cardiff same thing happened to bristol uh you know they spent money on it and i know it's beautiful i love it i love the yeah. lanes i love uh the seaside i love they've actually got a vibrant shopping area there we, we should one day we should um i don't know i'm only just throwing this out at you we should like to go away together yeah to, to Brighton, is that what you're yeah, saying let's go for a nice weekend <laughs> no we should do a just, um a listener meetup Somewhere. A listener meet. I see that. Yeah. That's very YouTubey. Bring your cameras. Yeah, we could go to Brighton. But wouldn't it be embarrassing when only us turn up? Wow. Well, yeah. But <laughs> then we could just put the cameras down and go. I know this really kind of good little Irish bar. Actually, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That's a really good idea. In fact, write to us if you'd like to do one of those. Yes. Because only when I've got a few people that say, say I'll yeah. turn up, and it has to be Brighton, <laughs> and it has to be Brighton, because yeah, that's in my head now. Do you remember? We um, of course you remember. We we went to uh, after the ex weddings conference. Mm -hmm. We took um, Facundo and Patrick down to Brighton mm -hmm. and uh, we went for fish and chips on the pier we did yeah they loved that yeah 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 <laughs> 
Is ace. I love it. I love Brighton. Quintessentially English. Very um, English. I, I met a photographer a couple of weeks ago called Chris Wardell. And uh, I do intend to make a, a longer podcast for my Breathe Pictures podcast. Plug, plug, plug. Um, but Chris um, has been around the, the entire uh, UK and he's, um, he's made pictures of all the peers. Oh. He did it completely off his back. He wasn't paid to do it. In fact, this has cost him money. Um, he's sold about 100 books or something like that, so he's certainly not made the money back, although he's done talks and stuff like that. but he, he wasn't under any kind of peer pressure to do it? No. <laughs> you should do the first question. <laughs> okay, right. First you're question. still laughing at your own joke. <laughs> I chuckle away. Um, all right, my first question actually uh, isn't really a question. It's more of a comment that was on the website. And in fact, I'm going to give the, my strap this week to... Right. Uh, God, you're playing the joker early. I'm going really early. Yeah. And actually, it, it all relates to when you had a, a wee next to Stuart Pierce. Do you remember? You said you had a wee yes, next to Stuart Yes, well, the fam- famous people you've had, you know, wee's next Yeah, to. so this isn't a comment. It's more of a statement, and it was. it's just because I found it very impressive. And, and uh, it's, <laughs> Is that why you're giving your strap away? Yeah, it's Robin Chun, um, C-H-U-N, <laughs> and his comment is very simple. I once had a pint with Ian Hunter and Mick Ralphs, uh, of course, of Mott the Hoople. Yeah. And that did it for me. I'm very impressed with that. So, uh, Robin, you are going to get your strap this week. Um, well done. My uh, financial advisor was called Ian Hunter. Ah. Mm. Not to do anything with that email, no. obviously. Well, I'm not giving him a strap. No. Okay, so, but on to a proper question. This question... Well, just before you do the proper question, yep. uh, does play in... Dean, Dean Prater wrote uh, in as well. I'm a proud owner of two systems for my work, which I love. A couple of uh, XT2s, which go pretty much everywhere with me, although I'm still a Nikon, Nikon shooter too, and find the two systems complement each other well. You mentioned last week on the show famous people you've been stood next to in the gents. Thought I'd chip in on this one too, since I have a long list. These are These are cool. Brian Blessed. Can you imagine being stood next to Brian Blessed? (laughs) Gordon's alive! It's my Brian Blessed impression. Uh, Paul Potts. uh, Hugh Laurie. Paul Potts? Paul Potts. Paul Potts? Not Paul Potts. No, no. No, not the terrible dictator. No. No, Paul Potts, the opera singer. Ah. Hugh Laurie. Oh. Where's this guy work? Yeah. Or does he hang out in weird sort of... Does he wait for these people to go to to the gents? I think it's only fair... That's Hugh Laurie. I better go and stand next to him. uh, It's only fair that you sent him a strap as well, I think. Well, yeah, the last (laughs) one is Anthony Hopkins. Oh, my word. Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. I wouldn't like to be stood next to him with the gents. No, I'd no. like to have a nice Chianti, though. <laughs> he wouldn't be stood at the gents with the Chianti. Have you ever... Now, you see this at weddings. Sorry, we, we will come back to your question. Where people go into the loo with their pint mm-hmm. and they're at, the, at the, the wall. That's just disgusting, isn't it? Yeah. I'm a bit old-fashioned when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah, I, I kind of... I can understand it if you're in some kind of East End or, like, Newport nightclub and you put your pint down and it's gone kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, or or worse still, somebody put something in it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. That's yeah, a very yeah. good point. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I don't think I would do that. No. Oh, okay. Anyway, look, I just thought I'd throw that one in. Yeah. The, the, the question. Um, I, one day I'll talk about it when I met Kylie Minogue. Not in the gents. <laughs> no. 
Not with the gents. Not that time. Uh, hi, Kevin and Neil. This is from Peter. Great work, guys, on the podcast. Now a favourite of the week. Thank you. Thank you. What do you both think of using two different cameras at the same time? Cool. E.g. a Fujifilm X-H1 alongside a Fujifilm X-Pro2. Either both with Prime or one with Zoom and one with a Prime. I think it's absolutely fine. I regularly shoot nowadays X-T3 and X-Pro2. Um, I mostly used to shoot uh, dual X-Pro2s purely because the inside of the X-Pro2 is the same as an X-T2. Um, but now the X-T3 is out and it's better uh, functionality-wise. Well, than how do you process those together then? Because the files are going to be slightly different. They are they? slightly different, different, slightly different sensors. Um, but I don't really take too much notice they're, they're pretty similar right. they're both x-trans x-trans 3 and 4 is only 2 megapixels different in sensor size it's very very I mean I've not noticed any particular difference in the old days when I used to shoot with uh, an X-Pro1 and an X-T2 mm. now they were different They were the sensors were very different so in Lightroom I used to use smart collections to separate out the files from the different cameras um, now Back in those old days, the Fujifilm cameras never passed the serial number in the EXIF data. Right. So I had to do it with smart collections based on the file name that I would set in the camera. Okay. But now the serial number comes through. And also um, in smart collections, now you can look at the camera, make a model and all that kind of stuff. So I, separ- I used to separate them out that way. And I did used to edit them slightly differently, okay. but not now. Um, and so to answer the question, absolutely no problem whatsoever, as long as you obviously know how to use both those cameras. Um, I would say the X-H1 is probably the most different out of the the Fujifilm cameras in terms of um, ergonomics menu structure and all that kind of stuff Mm. so you know whatever works difficulty difficulty really comes I think when you're really mixing flavours and you're working with say a Canon or a Sony and a Fujifilm camera that's yeah. that's now having um, had a few um, second. Sh- I don't use second shooters very often, but when I have, rarely, really, does everybody use the same camera system as e- each other? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't choose them because they have uh, a certain breed of, of camera. No. But um, but that that can that can cause problems because you know some some systems favour more you know a heavier green. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm I'm assuming that uh, um, Peter's on about working by himself, you know, yeah. and so yeah, I mean. I don't, I don't have any issue with that. Yeah. Uh, Riv Lokia, thank you very much for your question that you've sent to click at fujicast.co.uk. By the way, just send those questions in because we really are motoring around these questions. So they are the lifeblood of the show. I don't want to hog your feed. You feel free, Rivki. You hog. Uh, but I'm wondering if you can cover this topic in an upcoming podcast. I'm especially interested in hearing about adapting vintage lenses with GFX, which I've had the good fortune purchasing primarily for personal work so this will be portraits family snapshots and some nature now you've worked with some vintage lenses i know nothing about this this is i am throwing this rugby ball at you um with a vigor because because you've done that should uh, his question is quite long um because he loves the personality of vintage lenses Mm. um should he just adapt the lenses to the x bodies and reserve gfx only with native lenses uh, which will take advantage of the resolution. Uh, and there's lots of or, 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 or. Uh, okay, so, yes, I have a couple of... I don't know how you qualify vintage lenses. In my mind, vintage lenses are just manual focus lenses that are of a different manufacturer. Um, however, you know, I, I do have a couple of, uh, of old lenses that I do pop onto my GFX occasionally. They are manual focus, and um, one of them is a... Mm, my word, I'm 
desperately trying to think of the brand now. Uh, it's a Minolta. I think it's 85mm f1.8 lens, um, which is challenged to focus at 1.8 on a medium format system. But the results are really nice. They're not. It's it's not like digital sharp. It's nice and filmic. If that's is, the right is, word. is there that much difference? Yeah. Oh, you can definitely notice. If you look at, uh, if you go over to uh, Jonas Rask's website, or Jonas, as he, he probably pronounced yeah. correctly, Jonas Rask. Do, while, I'm ta- while you're talking about this, I'm going to do that. Um, he's got a whole load of stuff on there, vintage lenses with all kinds of cameras, including all the feature film cameras and uh, Jeff X and all the other cameras. He's, he, I think he owns every camera in the world. Right. Uh, but Jonas Rask is the place to go for, to look for all of that stuff. Um, and, you know, he does a really good way, or he does really good work in in terms of reviewing the lenses but also sharing a lot of his pictures and the, and they're amazing pictures of course because it's Jonas um, but yeah I mean I do use it and I I enjoy using them uh, it's not something I would probably use for uh, professional or commercial work maybe for some kind of portraiture if, they, if they, the, the case arose but certainly not for weddings too slow um, really when people go for those vintage lenses they're looking for the characteristic of those lenses they're looking for something that's now of course in the GFX range you actually have the um, Jonas Rask's work is beautiful isn't it yeah just looking at the website now yeah yeah, yeah Jonas Rask dot com yeah Jonas Rask dot com yeah and he saves lives as well Oh, he's, he's the doctor. He's the doctor. The doctor. Ding, so he's a doctor ding, and a photographer. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but yeah, that, that's pretty much it. I mean, I uh, I think the GFX is made is is a perfect complement for those legacy lenses. You have the the crop um, factor, thirty five mil factor in the in the um, camera itself now, which allows you to use different older lenses without worrying too much about the crop on the sensor, mm. um, which is only something you get in the GFX, uh, at least as far as I'm aware. And yeah, I mean, and and the good thing about those vintage lenses, I got one Minolta um, that one point eight lens. And it was something like I paid something like sixty eight pound on eBay for it. It was really cheap. Um, so you do good, need an adapter. Deals on these, then. You need an adapter, yeah. so you need an, a, a mount adapter for whatever lens you're going to use. But yeah, I mean, if you a lot of people are, I've noticed who are moving into the GFX system are buying the camera and not necessarily buying the GF lenses, but buying legacy lenses, right? Because it's it's a bit cheaper, of course, uh, and but allows you to get in there straight away and shoot. I noticed on the Jonas Rask website, by the way, I'm trying to find the vintage stuff and I haven't found it. So the normal thing has happened that I've clicked around and straight away I found his 365. Hmm. Have you ever done a 365? Mm, well, if you can count 12 days of 365 as doing a 365, then yes. <laughs> but if you're counting 365 out of 365, then no. Yeah. Oh, you should see his 365. Hmm. Oh, great. I'm so jealous. Yeah. Barry Paffy. Now I'm giving my I'm I'm playing my Joker early now and giving a strap for this one. Again, it's not a question. Um, I, I I like this because it's support really for the photographic community, and I think that's really really important. Um, the more of us that can support each other, the better. We're all in this one together, guys. We really are. So Barry Paffy, thank you for this. Love listening to the podcast, guys. Particularly like the section. Um, uh, this must have been a particular one where Kevin said he's never proud of his work because um, oh, Barry says, I too suffer with that. Uh, perhaps you should elaborate on that. Well, that was a couple of episodes ago, wasn't there, where, where we were talking about just being hard on yourself. Yeah, we were, there was a question that came in about how do you get to the point where you're, you know, you're confident and proud of your work, mm. etc. And I think both of us agreed that 
proud is probably not the right word but you know neither of us are uh, you know sit back and look at our work and go hmm yeah that's brilliant you know we, we I think if, you, if you get to that stage yeah it, it's it's you know it's a it's a, a slippery slope i think to believing in yourself far yeah. too much yeah. for, for yeah. your own measure well i think believing in yourself is important don't get me wrong mm-hmm. but um i always come away from a wedding thinking i could have done better or i wish i'd done this or i wish i'd done that it's something that has troubled me for years so it's nice to hear i'm not the only one photography can be a very lonely profession and listening to this type of thing shows that we're not alone and i think that's uh, the, the reason i wanted to give that this week uh, was because um I, I think that's more of a community thing which i think which i think is important so thank you barry i think you're pointing something out that i think a lot of photographers feel and um, sometimes it's too easy to look at Instagram and look at, you know, the awesome lives that people are having and smashed think, it. you know, smashed, smashed it. it. Everybody smashed it. But I bet you when they get home, you know, they're the same as us. Some images they're really proud of and they think, yeah, I've done that. But other images they'll think, yeah, oh, maybe I could have done slightly better on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to put you in the put you in the pile for a strap to be sent to you. Yep. One more question, Kev. Then we'll go for our guest. Okay. So this is a question from. Oscar Laverde. Hi, guys. First, I want to say uh, your first podcast was well presented and remarkably interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. I have a question for you guys. Good job. I am from Canada and would like to hear from your perspective, i.e. the UK, the difference between wedding photography in North America in general, US and Canada, and the UK or Europe. Any criticism or anything we could learn from both sides of the pond? So before we dig into that, I only found out last week that Canada is the second biggest country on the planet. No way. Mm-hmm. Is it? Canada, if you look on the map, Canada is huge. It's like something like three times bigger than North America. I have no idea. Obviously with a lot less people. Yeah. Uh, I think it's something like there's the same amount of people living in Chicago as living in the whole of Canada, but Canada is absolutely massive. I've never been to Canada and I really want to go. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I like Canada. Um, okay, so uh, do you want to do you want to take on that a little bit first in terms of North America and the differences between uh, us and them? Well, you know, we talked last week, funnily enough, about the mm. fact that America have uh, seemingly less documentary photographers at work. And I think Canada's the same, isn't it? Wedding. Wedding. Oh, yeah. yes, in terms of wedding. Mm. Sorry. Um, uh, although you did make the point those that do exist are the, the, the top of the tree ones. And, the- but it's just not a style that... that American photographers in terms of weddings have have gotten into I, I think partly, as much. I think this part. Imagine, consider, if you will, you live in uh, the out, uh, the, 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 the you know the, the wilderness of Canada, right. and uh, with you, only a moose as your neighbour, only a moose and uh, and the Rockies, yeah. and you decide to get married. Would you? Would you not want to have the beautiful Rockies and the moose oh, God, as your yeah. background? And yeah. you know, I think there's an element of. I'm not saying that we don't have beautiful landscape and countryside here. Of course, we do. Mm. Um, but I do think there's an element of where you're from and the geography of where you're from has dictated to a certain extent the style of photography that's grown up around it, wedding-wise. Yeah. Um, so if you're in California, if you're on Malibu Beach, you're likely to struggle to get kind of documentary-style photography, wedding photography, because people want that that vibe they want that feel and that that can only be really orchestrated um you know less so in places like new york perhaps where you know weddings are likely to be more inside hotels that are just inside and you know and so the documentary approach might work better there um certainly canada you know and and 
you know that's that's my kind of feel about why well certainly beach weddings i mean it's a totally different kind beach, of experience mountains lakes sky, uh, snow and if, and if you photograph a, a wedding in and we you always mention swindon registry office mm. um it's going to be a, a much grittier earthy feel isn't it i mean you're you're going to get gonna it's almost like social documentary photography mm. rather than this beautiful vista even in vista can be documentary but totally different background yeah and i'm not saying that the you know that people who get married in these places won't want documentary style photography but this is the question is about the differences in general between um like geographically the differences that's affected wedding photography and i i think that has to be it i think it has to be about the the place mm. um because you know there are so many people in america and they are a very artistic nature nation and canada of course north america um and they they must have an appreciation. There must be enough people out there to have an appreciation mm, mm. for documentary-style wedding photography. Not, of course, that having formal photography is a negative thing at all either, as we just said, that you know, if you're in a place like that, then it made sense. Um, but I think that's why it's probably a little bit more difficult to, to kind of pick up these types of clients. Uh, you know, it's the same in Spain, actually. Spain, um, you know, you kind of you get more northern, more northern Spain, Madrid, that mm. kind of area documentary style wedding photography is getting more popular you hit the south no chance you know it just just doesn't happen and that's partly because of the uh, the culture but also because of the weather and the environment and the landscape and then there are photographers that break the mold aren't there mm-hmm. what about facundo santana facundo facundo mm-hmm. um, i mean he uh, his his uh, documentary approach to weddings very different to a lot of his colleagues and, and peers that that um, it's it's very formal um, style photography in his part of the world mm. but not for facu no not for Facu, no, uh, absolutely, and and you know Argentina is a very religious country, um, so there's a lot of um, uh, elements of that that come into play. Yeah. So you know you have uh, I remember having a conversation a while back with a uh, an Indian groom, and um, he said you know we really want you to to do the, the weddings, but we you know we must have the sixty five pictures on the mundap yeah, yeah, of the yeah, of yeah. the uh, family giving the gifts to the bride and groom, which is fine. Um, and I said, yeah, okay, you know, we, we can deal with that. We'll either get a second shooter in or you can go away and decide what you decide to do. Yeah, yeah. In the end, he didn't book. Um, however, and I got talking to him about this and he said, um, yeah, you know, it's... it's." And I said, why Why is this a thing, by the way? Why, why do you have to have a picture of the gifts being handed over? And he said, oh, it's cultural. It goes back generations and gen- hundreds and hundreds of years. And I was like, well, you know... Th- photography's only really been around about 125 years or so it can't go back that far and he's like oh yeah i never really thought about that yeah <laughs> and uh, and I, I totally understand in the asian world you know the, the, being seen to give the gifts that's yes. that's the that, that, that's what they want captured but the you know he was kind of like oh, yeah yeah you're right you know it's not true that my great-grandparents were having the gifts photographed you know and <laughs> I, I, I think um, that, that photographing sometimes the formality can be um, a fun part of the documentary as well. Mm-hmm. Going, but we mentioned it last week. Um, going back to the Turkish weddings that I shoot, yeah. um, they have um, uh, they, they they all the ones I've done have they've they've never veered off this path. That they've turned up. Um, all the key members of the of the wedding party have turned up to a studio. 
So it's not even outside. This isn't even done outside. It's done usually against a grey backdrop with some um, some pillars and some um, some props that they bring in, mm. and they photograph all the family having very formal documentaries uh-huh. against the grey uh-huh. grey backdrop. And I, when when this was said, the bride and groom said to me, "Well, you'll probably want to go off during those moments. Maybe go and get some lunch." I said, "No, these will be fabulous uh, moments." Shoot around because it. photographing everybody looking absolutely miserable in between these shots, thinking, "How much longer is this going on?" <laughs> I, I found was par for the course of showing the the story of the day so mm-hmm. thank you for your questions uh, click at fujicast.co.uk uh, click at fujicast.co.uk is our address uh, we've cleared down an awful lot of emails of late so um, start sending them in again because they'll be on the show this week's guest is tom stoddart uh, Tom is a photojournalist. I met him. Um, really, I was introduced to him by by a, a, a friend of mine who shoots, um, who used to shoot conflict, and uh, he said you must go and talk to Tom. Um, number one, he's probably mo- one of the most generous photographers out there in terms of giving his time to other photographers. And number two, his back catalogue of work is just just stunning. We've mentioned him a couple of times on this show. Um, I say I say stunning because a lot of the stuff he shoots isn't isn't um, it's not not particularly um, pretty in terms of its subject matter, no. but um, his his composition, the way he shoots, the thought that that goes into his composition, it's the story, it's the, the story making that, um, and he his forward in his la- one of his latest books, Eyewitness, was written by Bob Geldof mm. um, because of the. Um, just the the honest nature of tom's work so um this is um an excerpt you can hear the full podcast um with more of of the interview with tom on my breathe pictures podcast but this is an excerpt uh, a chance to to meet tom stoddart the man behind the pictures i think when you start it's uh you know it's incredibly exciting you're um, I remember going to Beirut in 1982 and I first met Don McCullen there in Beirut and it was a it was the biggest story in the world and the uh, Israeli forces were bombing Yasser Arafat's uh, PLO and you know you really felt this was what being a real photographer was um, that you were on a, a major international story and there were very few photographers and it was dangerous so it was incredibly exciting and you felt you know that your work was worthwhile um, and I've always felt that that uh, I, I, I've always felt um, that I have the right to be there as a photojournalist in, in lots of situations. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a policeman, I'm not a soldier, I'm a photographer. And, um, and when I go into areas like that, I do my job. Um, of course, if, if you have the chance to, if you have to get involved, then you do. You're a human being first and a, and a photographer second. But by and large, uh, your role is to, to go into these areas where other people can't. They, they don't have the uh, the privilege of, of of going to see these things firsthand. So it's your job to bring back images that are truthful and are educational and that uh, inform and inform debate and maybe get things changed. That's all you can hope for. How does making imagery in these these bleak places or during bleak times? How does that affect your humanity? Well, there are many things that you you look at and you think, how could anyone do this? I mean, Lockerbie was is one thing that uh, how could anyone callously plant a bomb on an aircraft and and, um, and bring it tumbling out of the sky? Um, my job, 
you know, on that on that evening, I was there quite quite quickly because I happened to be in the north of England when it happened, and um, I got there quite quickly. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's just purely a, um, a record. Uh, it's a very historic event and uh, needs to be documented, recorded uh, for for history. And um, you know, you do the best you can in in what was a horrific scene. I'm 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 a photojournalist. I tell stories with my camera just like um, colleagues of mine tell stories uh, with their pen or radio uh, reporters do it with their microphone or, you know. I choose to tell uh, stories with a camera um, and with as few words as possible. I want people to look at my pictures and understand what's going on with the, with the photograph and just a short caption. Um, documentary, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what... Uh, you know, obviously the word means to document uh, what's around you, um, but it, I don't see much of a difference really between photojournalism and, and, and documentary. At these times, are you a, a photographer or a participant? Can you be a, a humanitarian? I think you're all of those things. You're all, you are a photographer, you are a participant, and you are a uh, humanitarian. You, By the very nature of picking up a camera and pointing at someone, you change. Um, you change, they change their expression, they change uh, the way they are. <laughs> There's an argument for saying that paparazzi, long lens paparazzi, is the purest form of photography and it's the most reviled. Because if you're hiding in a bush and you, you are photographing someone on a 600mm lens, then they're not, if they're not aware of you, they're completely natural. So there's, there's lots of arguments um, about things like that. You are a participant because you're there. Um, hopefully, a participant for good. Um, you know your picture should be um, should be used to change things. Um, if if it's a negative situation, I mean, still pictures are incredibly powerful. Still, incredibly powerful things. If you think of the pictures from Abu Ghraib uh, torture. Uh, uh, prison. Darby turned in the pictures of prisoner abuse at Abu Ghraib in Iraq, pictures he'd discovered purely by accident. Low-ranking soldiers like Lindy England committed the abuses, but the Senate Armed Services Committee today released a paper... You know, what are the stills would... Uh, what other kind of medium would get Donald Rumsfeld to go on television and admit that the United States were doing this and apologize for it? I feel terrible about what happened to these Iraqi detainees. They're human beings. They were in U.S. custody. Our country had an obligation to treat them right. We didn't, and that was wrong. So to those Iraqis who were mistreated by members of the U.S. Armed Forces, I offer my deepest apology. If the stills didn't exist... Um, you know, there's no way he would have done that. But they do exist, and they were taken by people on the inside, by their very own people who are administrating these beatings. Um, and that's what's changed. The, um, the authorities can stop people like me um, getting into, uh, you know, sensitive situations as they see it. But, um, you know, the uh, they can't stop their own people uh, in this this kind of age of selfies and, and documentation of, your, of your, what you do as a person. So the danger for the authorities is going to come from the inside. And that's why we've gone back to World War One, where eventually the, um, the military banned uh, soldiers from carrying cameras in the trenches. Uh, the military now frown on, on soldiers taking photographs. Um, you know, um, and that's, that's, that's how it is. But 
still photograph is still incredibly uh, powerful. Is it right that a lot of photographic projects are self-funded? If you want to make a story that you feel really passionate about, you have to take that initial financial risk. A lot of the projects now are self-funded. The magazines uh, don't have the budgets to uh, or the will to send you uh, on on uh, news events, international news events. Covering news is very expensive for magazines, and you know the truth is that they're more interested in royal stories, celebrity stories. Uh, sports stories than they are in you know what's going on in Libya or Iraq but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be covering these areas of the world and these um, these stories part of our remit as photojournalists is to remind people that you know not everyone has access to electricity not everyone has access to medicine clean water um, human rights so if you're going to do this job seriously you have to be aware that you might go halfway around the world and shoot for a period of time and, and come back and hardly anyone will be interested in the photographs. You, you always have to remind yourself that this is a, an, a, it's an amazing way to earn your living and, and uh, you're literally the jack of all trades and, and you see a lot of things but you're there for a short, a short time so you can't possibly become an expert on everything. Um, but you have to remain interested and and you have to be interested in people and um what makes the world tick and it, if you if you're interested in news and current affairs it's it's an amazing uh job it's addictive isn't it very much addictive again on my first job uh, as this kid on a paper the one of the old photographers said you'll have a, a champagne lifestyle on a beer salary and that, that's exactly what it's been. Let's talk about your, your legacy and the fact that when you're making some of these pictures, the Berlin Wall's a, a good example. Are you aware how important your images, your pictures are going to be? I don't think uh, you're aware at the time. Um, I, I'm a great kind of believer that, uh, and I, I tell young photographers this all the time, that they're not shooting for the next day or the next week or the next month they're shooting for the next 20 years 25 years especially if they're on a on a, an important event um as i said i've been around this is my 46th year as a professional and it's amazing how many times photographs i shot 20 years ago 25 years ago i mean the berlin wall is, is a point in case i happen to be by by chance by luck on on the berlin wall the night it opened i was at checkpoint charlie when the very first people came through um, and it seems like yesterday and in fact it's you know it was November the 9th 1989 and uh, the pictures I shot that night are still being used uh, regularly when do you stop you never stop why would you stop you know yeah. I don't see the point of stopping and uh, <laughs> something that slightly irks me is that every new award every new bursary is for photographers under 30 and you know there's all this help given to um, uh, young guys um, because they, it seems like their ideas are better than, than an old guy and um, I, I really don't see that and I, I, you know, I take um, lessons from people like Ellie Derwitt and, uh, who are still shooting well into their 80s um, I think ideas are, uh, are the currency of how we, how we exist as professional photographers because I mean that and the the insatiable quest for news and needing to know what's going on anywhere in the world at, at any given time is um, is 
crucial, really, to being a photojournalist. Thank you to Tom Stoddart for his time um, in Newcastle, where this uh, interview was recorded. And if you'd like to hear the, the full edition of that, then you can go to um, Breathe Pictures, my, uh, my website, breathepictures.com, where the Breathe Pictures podcast presides. And actually, there is a film uh, on YouTube that I made about him as well. So maybe we could put those links in, mm-hmm. the, in, the, mm-hmm. in the show notes. Amazing film. Something, oh, thank you. Something we haven't done for a long time is look at a book. Mm. Um, and you brought the, the, the home book in. Well, um, I brought it because I, I recently got the new Alex Soft book, um, which is uh, just literally landed on my doorstep a couple of days ago. New one. Yeah, the new one. Um, I, I can't remember what it's called. It's something like, um, I, you know when my heart is furiously beating. Okay. Something along those lines. Um, and I was going to bring that today. But, but then actually I realized that we both have um, some Alex Soft stuff in this home book you yeah. have the book or yeah. I, ha- I have the book and it's more Fujifilm related really because it's the uh, the exhibition that Magnum and Fujifilm put together called Home and they selected a handful of Magnum photographers to shoot with the G- uh, GFX yeah GFX. Oh, no, I don't think they had to. I did. No, they did. Yes, I you're think right. it's GFX. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so there's, I don't know, 15 of the uh, um, ex-photographers, good Lord, mm-hmm. uh, the Magnum photolo- photographers, and uh, all of their pictures are in here. And I think they were t- tasked with producing something like 20 pictures. Um, and it's a really beautiful, well put together book and the exhibition was excellent and you uh, you were doing some behind the film uh, behind the scenes documentary of that as well weren't you yeah i i covered um mark power mm-hmm. and uh olivia arthur mm. now olivia's stuff in this book i think is breathtaking well olivia was in the middle uh well she was she was just about to have her her second child yeah yeah, yeah. so i interviewed her when she was um i, th- I think just a couple of weeks to yeah. to go i yeah. think because by the time the um, the actual do came round, she'd she'd had the baby, and and, and but the the pictures in here of um, Olivia Arthur um, going through mm. the final weeks of uh, of pregnancy, she was preparing for another little one to come in the world yeah. and dealing with. I mean, there were very honest pictures of how her daughter was dealing with that at the time. Yeah, uh, and actually, you know, I, I think it's it's fair to say that all of the photographers in this book are, you know, are, are amazing and world class, and rightly so. But I think there are some elements of this book that stand out stronger than others for me personally, at least. Uh, I love Elliot Erwitt's um, contribution to it. I was just about, about to mention Elliot Erwitt. <laughs> Everybody was in the Elliot Erwitt, but I mean, they look around the whole exhibition, yeah. but then they tended to end up at Elliot yeah, Erwitt's yeah. section. Brilliant. I mean, a lot of them are kind of self-portraits, him sat in front of the TV and stuff, you know. I've always loved that one with the with a fish head with a cigar in its mouth. Yeah, yeah um, it's amazing. I mean, it's it's such a cool book. And, and uh, I'm fairly sure you can purchase it on Amazon and various other places. Certainly, you'd be able to get it from the Magnum website, yeah. possibly even from the Fujifilm store. I'm not sure about that. Um, but it's a really, really lovely book to have. And and the key thing about it for me is, you know, I, I'm a collector of photo books, but I'm, I am I also I buy them because I want to look at them as well, not yeah. just because I want them to, to go up in value. Uh, and, uh, you know, this book is something that I look at and I actually think, you know what, I, I'm... I, I, I haven't I haven't taken pictures of the kids for the last couple. You know, just 
having tea tonight or having dinner or yes. you know whatever it just makes me want to grab my camera do, do you have your camera uh, I know you haven't of late by the sound of it but usually do you have your it's X100 you carry around most of the time isn't oh it? there's a camera everywhere in the house yeah. yeah I mean there's always a camera in the kitchen and stuff uh, it's usually the X100 but say I mean you've got some uh, glorious pictures of Albie having real tantrums here and there yeah is that when you normally think I need to get a picture of this? yeah I yeah, mean yeah. bless Albie sorry Albie if you're listening to this in 15 years time thinking, <laughs> how dare you die? no I mean they're growing up now you know it's the same with your kids it's, uh, things are changing the, the dynamic of, cha- of taking those those pictures at home are, yeah, are, yeah. Da- are changing yeah. I mean Rosa Rosa's she goes to high school in a few months and I know same with our Jack they're the uh, same age aren't they my yeah. word it's it's just well it's heartbreaking frankly but you know <laughs> other than that it's just different everything is different it's part of growing actually that that plays right back to the Mark Power story so mm. if you look in the home book um, then uh, and we will have links to this uh, Mark was preparing for his daughter Chili to uh, leave home and go to university so it was quite a, you know the, the 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 feeling in the house when I went in to film this by the way with an X-T3 an X-T2 X-T2 at the time yeah um, yeah because it was like the, yeah it was X-T2 so 18 months yeah um, was palpable you could feel this sort of nervousness about Chili leaving I um, I made a, a YouTube film and um, about the about the exhibition uh, the the making of the exhibition and there's some bits in there in fact the the magnum film as well which is on my youtube channel um has um i i've I put a link in there to the mark power film where you can see mm-hmm. those feelings and those pictures he was making as um as his daughter was preparing to i, I love to that leave home. that mark power documentary because it 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 just everything crystallizes and you see these um you know people class them as world famous photographers and stuff like that and and actually underneath all of that it's just a person you know i found that when i was spending some personal time with mark Mm. um that he was i thought okay so i've I've always revered his work Mm. love his work a friend of ours alistair freeman Mm. um talks about the um what was it called the shipping forecast yes as one of the seminals that were for him one of the most important pieces of work yeah that, that alistair um references when he talks about getting into photography and that yeah. was mark power's work yeah and spending time though with him i thought it's going to be this this superstar photographer what on earth am i going to have in common was just not true no, and and it's very similar to, to spending time with Tom Stoddart. Mm-hmm. Just not true. And I've met Tom a couple of times you also. Know, and really kind, really generous with his time. Absolutely happy to talk. Yeah, very happy to share. Yeah, to give advice when asked to give advice. But but you know, yeah, lovely people. Indeed. So go uh, go look for the home book. A um, couple more questions. Then I think we'll go for our our topic. Um, Petra Bright, I've not long set up a portrait business photographing kids mainly. I've been using a Canon 5D Mark II, which I love, but I want to try and work with a smaller system. Would the focusing be fast enough in your experience and opinion for photographing fast-moving kids? I'm assuming you're talking about Fujifilm cameras. You didn't say that, but, um, well, what do you think, Kev? Uh, yeah. Because you've just been talking about <laughs> photographing your children. Yeah, so. <laughs> I think, I, I, yes, I think regardless whether it's Fujifilm, Sony, whatever, I think that these days at least they are fast enough. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps right back in the day when the X-Pro1 came out, X100, the original one, you know, definitely was not up to up to the same focusing speed as the DSLR equivalents then. But now, 
I mean, XT3, my word. Well, I'm going to be a little bit controversial uh, in that um, are there moments I think I miss with the XT3 above my 5D4? And I think if I haven't got the camera, if I haven't given it a little uh, depress on the shutter as I bring it up to my eye, there's a chance, there's just a chance in that split second, I, I, you know, it's not quite quick need, enough. Do you have your high performance mode switched on? I don't. And that's my, yeah, go, I've then. got to switch it on because I thought High too much about mode, battery life. Power settings. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's a good point. No, I don't. <gasps> Although I've always been thinking about battery life and, and this thing and, the and you know, this thing that Fujifilm was always berated for was, oh, the batteries are rubbish. They'll just run out quicker than anything. You'll never have enough battery life over. And I don't find that now because I'm yeah. in power-saving mode. Yeah. I find it fantastic. I don't change the batteries uh, as much as I thought I would I, at all. I shot a wedding on Saturday, and I shot two. I shot X-Pro to an X-T3, um, a usual full wedding coverage. So I probably took 1,800, 2,000 pictures, yep. maybe even more. Yep. Uh, I changed the X3. Well, you mean you're not, you're not shooting through this thing at twenty five thousand frames? <laughs> what? I, sh- I changed the I changed the XT3 battery once yeah. uh, just before the first dance, and the X Pro Two was just one, so I didn't go through any more batteries than that. I do take more batteries with me though. Another question, Kev. Then we'll go for our topic of the week. Okie doke. So this question is from Oscar, and he says, "Hi guys, really glad you started the podcast. Your work is very inspiring, especially Neil's." <laughs> Breathe series and the interview with yeah, Tom Stoddart. I was say, yeah. Finish that <laughs> sentence. <laughs> uh, my question is related to the electronic shutter on the Fujifilm cameras. I own the X Pro Two and XT Two. Yep. I love the idea of the electronic shutter, but I'm finding it. I'm not quite getting it right. I'm getting banned in rolling shutter. Do you guys ever use it? And if so, is there a rule of thumb to go by so I won't be getting banned in shutter speed, fluorescent lighting, fast moving subjects, etc. Mm. P.S. Bonus question for Kevin: How is he finding the XT Three, and does his X Pro Twos sit at home now? Uh, um, okay, well, I'll, I'll give my little two pennants on that. Mm-hmm. Um, X-T3 is an amazing camera. Um, my X-Pro2 still does come with me to a wedding, so I'm generally shooting with one X-T3 and one X-Pro2 right now. Um, so that answers the, the bonus question. Now, the electronic shutter stuff, um, funnily enough, when you if you did ever upgrade to the X-T3, you would notice that's much better um, yeah. in terms of the banding. banding without, a, without a doubt. Yeah, banding is a thing. Um, the rolling shutter, as they, as they call it. Essentially, depending on where you are in the world, you'll see different frequencies of light. Um, and I think in the UK, it's 50, 50 hertz. 50 hertz. In the US, yeah. it's 60 hertz. So you always know if you're, you're filming something in the background, you've got some lights that aren't... <laughs> that, yeah, that you'll aren't, see them flickering. Aren't, aren't up to spec. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And so you can mitigate it to a certain extent by trying to shoot at multiples of that frequency. So if you're in the UK, uh, shoot at uh, uh, 50th of a second, 100th of a second, 150th, etc. That might mitigate it, certainly will with uh, the uh, mechanical shutter. But the, the fact is the electronic shutter will struggle in very, very bad lighting condition. And it's just one of the things, the way that the technology is, is evolving that way. Um, there's this, uh, the, the fabled global shutter that people seem to talk about and i have no idea what that actually means but apparently that's the thing that will solve all of this and allow us to shoot at many hundreds of thousands of a second and not have to worry about um banding and shutter speeds and the global various stuff yeah that's what they keep calling it um i don't know what it means though technically so uh yeah so uh, you're not actually technically doing anything wrong um just use it where applicable i mean 
I have my cameras always now set to uh, shutter type mechanical and electronic, so it will automatically kick into the electronic shutter if mm. I can't get the shutter speed I need if I'm shooting at fast apertures. And I know. I, do you know? We, we I'm surprised we've not had questions on that. Why? Um, why does it have both? And that's the reason why, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it has. So uh, you can either choose mechanical electronic or mechanical and electronic where that decision is made for you by yeah, the camera yeah absolutely so if you're shooting an f1.4 and you're in bright sunshine but you still want to use depth of field yes you still want to make the most of that that environment then you're going to have to increase the shutter speed or yeah. make it faster i should yeah. say um so you can shoot up to one thirty-two thousandth of a second then with an electronic shutter and of course it's 100 percent silent mm. so one of the things that i do when i go to it favors a, mechanical though doesn't it, it favors mechanical yeah, yeah. yeah so one of the things i do when i go to a church is I will, um, you know, I'll, I'll go to where I'm likely to be standing and I'll use the electronic shutter and, and take a fast burst, rapid burst. And then you can see on the LCD of the, if there's any banding. So if there's any banding on the LCD as you're, as you're um, previewing back through those oh, images... What a good tip. You'll, you'll see it and then you yeah. decide not to use it. If yeah, I don't yeah. see any banding, which with the X-T3 I rarely do these days, then I'll always use the electronic shutter. I'll use the mechanical shutter for the bride coming down the aisle yep. um, just because I'm you know, want to make sure that, that, that I'm getting that, and actually, the um, the listening to the shutter going mm-hmm. is gives me a little bit of confidence that it's worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll switch the electronic shutter for the rest of the ceremony yeah. because it's just totally silent. What a great tip, though! I never thought of doing that. A, a quick burst, and then you'll see whether it's mm-hmm. got that flicker. Mm-hmm. Then you can make an informed decision off the back of that. Yeah, yeah, great idea. Thank you very much for your question. If you are sending your questions in, then the email address is click at fujicast.co.uk. Click at fujicast.co.uk. Right, this, we, oh, we, we haven't done our, um, I tell you what we haven't done yet, which we should do, our thanks. We haven't done our, before we do the question, uh, before we do the topic, rather, let's get our um, our reviews out, because we haven't done our, uh, our, our, our self-indulgent minute. Mm-hmm. It's going to be yours first. Away you go. Okay, great listen. Keep up the good work, chaps. A recommended listen, whether you shoot Fuji or not. Alistair Freeman. We mentioned him. <laughs> Funny enough. Good old Alistair. We like Alistair. Oh, thank you, Al. Um, Phil Peake. I just wanted to say what a most excellent podcast you've both created. Uh, great content, informative, properly interesting. Your style is unaffected, honest, and makes makes oi laugh. <laughs> makes oi laugh. Makes oi laugh. Oh, so you're you're talking in Cumbrian. Keep it up. Look forward to hearing more. I usually listen on my long commute of the M6 in Cumbria. That is a long commute. Thank you very much, Boise. <laughs> Murray McMillan, uh, this podcast is great. I'd never ever listened to one before, and this has got me into the genre oh, so much. To podcast. Two great presenters and two uh, such great topics and chat. Really entertaining, whether you shoot Fuji or not. One of my highlights of the week when a new episode is on. Brilliant. Thanks, Mark, Murray. Mark Zilberman from New York, going by the email Ooh, at Nadia. I know Mark. Do you? Yeah. Hi, okay, Kev. Hi, Neil. Show is just great. Thankfully, not just you. Excuse me. Not just useful for Fuji owners. I don't know where you guys get the time. <laughs> oh. I know Mark really well. How do you know Mark? Um, I met him in uh, New York, and uh, he's a uh, he's he's a documentary he's a, he's wedding a, photographer. He's a good guy. He, yeah, he's a, he's a really good guy. A really really nice guy. Actually. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And if you'd like to leave those reviews, then obviously uh, you know you need to leave reviews that are truthful and authentic. Um, but we do like to read out the ones that <laughs> that are particularly nice, and we'll get round to them all. I think. Yeah. We'll do our best. Topic of the week. Just a, a shortish one this week. Um, getting in close to your subject. Um, 
if you like in the old-fashioned language 24 mil something like that or 16 mil in fujifilm language i i i particularly like to 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 get in close i think in terms of shooting weddings um the best storytelling comes from from when you're when you're close and i think if you if you back off across a room with um with a long lens nothing makes people feel more uncomfortable or, or more like they are being i hate that phrase papped oh you pat me mate no no um than than something like a 50 to 140 um mm. or what would have been 70 to 200 i think if you're across a room with a long lens then uh, that that can make people feel intensely uncomfortable. I think if you're part of the party, if you're close to the party, if you're with the party, mm. then people are more likely to let you into that party. Yeah, I agree. And uh, there's a couple of elements of this that that probably need discussing from my point of view. I suppose is that I really, really, uh, you know, I like to deliver images that are from a guest side point of view, yeah, rather than from a photographer's point of view. Yeah. I want to deliver images that the guests have seen, right? Um, but on the same time, you don't really want to kind of affect those moments and affect those scenes. So that's why uh, changing when I changed all those years ago when the X100 came along, I didn't know that what I was looking for. I didn't know I wanted a new camera. Nothing, it was just you know I just bought this new camera. I wasn't in the market for changing systems. But but what happened was I was getting in closer. I knew I could see the images. They were they, I was getting in much closer. And I was getting more intimate pictures, but crucially, I wasn't getting in the way. I wasn't affecting moments. Do you feel that People a ca- the size of a camera would have made that difference? Yeah, you'd, you'd have, you know, even with a you, you were a five D user, weren't you? I, or were you one D? I had a one D Mark Four, remember? Okay. So, which was a fantastic camera. Yeah. But my word, it was huge, absolutely huge, and, and a clatter with the shutter as well. Yeah, the clatter. Clack, 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 clack. It, it, it was just, you know. But don't get me wrong, I, I didn't know that I wanted something different until like X100 came out. But mm. when it did, and I was getting these images that were much, just much more intimate, much closer, but at the same time, not kind of damaging the environment, not 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 destroying the moments, um, because of course, you know, it, it would be wrong for either of us to say you can't get in close and personal mm, with a DSLR mm. because that's just not true, especially now because they're smaller. Yeah. But in those days, you could still get exactly the same types of pictures, but there was no way that you would be able to do that and not have some kind of impact on the moment. Now, uh, especially with the X100 and, and the X Pro 2, you could shoot one-handed if you will. I'll often wander around the drinks yeah, reception yeah. with an X100 in one hand and a glass of orange juice or something in the other. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. You know, uh, yeah. and, um, and and just, you know, just click away inside, right inside the, the, the wedding, and you just get those really close-up pictures without the threat of... Um, of people worrying about it, I like the um, ten to twenty-four. Now you don't use the ten twenty-four photographing of weddings at all, do you? No. But for me, and I know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in the kitchens when I'm photographing chefs at work. Mm. I think that ten twenty-four because everything's distorted, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like whatever on the outsides of the frame. But that that just for me, just that, that I love that that mm. distortion on the edge. The chef that I work with quite uh, quite one uh, one chef I work with quite regularly at a wedding venue calls them he's uh, um, up the nose shots, his yeah. nasal hair shots. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. particularly dislikes that angle. Yeah, but it does it does. I just think that urgency that it gives when you're right in there and you can see the hand stretching out, bringing you food across the pass. Yeah, and all that kind of stuff. I think is wonderful. I think the closer you can get to a subject, the better. I always remember. I, I, it, it, we have signature images in your career, don't you? Mm. And for me, one of my favourite signature images, without a shadow of a doubt, 
uh, well, there's a couple, but one in particular is of um, a lady that, um, a slightly older lady, more mature lady, hmm. a mother who is crying, and her daughter reaches out and cups her mother, um, her mother's cheek in her hand. And um, it was um, it was a story where the, the bride's father had passed away not too long before the actual wedding. And uh, he was Italian, mum was Italian, and when the bride came out and she went to mum and she was speaking, I don't speak Italian, but it doesn't take a brain surgeon to work out, they were talking about papa. Uh-huh. And um, I, I thought, right, I, I, I want to get this, but I want to be that point of view look. So I, I was essentially over the bride's shoulder um, with a what would have been for me at the time, 24mm lens, uh-huh. got the picture, then came away very quickly again because what I what, what I think you know working close is one thing but then you should never encroach too much beyond that no yeah absolutely get, get your picture make your picture move out yeah I think we mentioned this last week so as I well of just just firing off shutter after shutter after shutter after shutter I think there's nothing worse than that no absolutely and uh, you know it's especially now if we are using mirrorless cameras where you can see the exposure in the viewfinder yep. there's no real excuse for it and yep. you know you it's really important to me that those moments carry on uh, un, undestroyed by the by the presence of the photographer really important do, do you have a favorite close-up moment i have a similar one actually where it was an indian wedding and it was um it was a two-day wedding so the the um hindu wedding was on the, the Friday, I believe, mm-hmm. and then the Sikh wedding was on the Saturday, and the Sikh wedding started at something like five a.m. in the morning. So um, I, did, oh, I had to get to Southall. That's like um, um, the Chinese wedding start really mm. early as well, don't they? So I got to Southall. I got to this um, uh, Southwold, Southall, or Southall, in South London. Sorry. Yeah. So I got to the um, to the ceremony location, and um, I'd seen this. The grandmother was at the wedding the previous day, and um, obviously, so was the bride. And, and I could see that there was some kind of relationship between them, but I never managed to capture anything between them the day before. But on this particular day, um, the grandmother came and and did the same thing, cup to the um, the bride's face. She wasn't teary or anything, but it was just one of those moments where. I, because I was aware of the relationship, I was trying to, to to look for something, and I saw them approach each other, and I walked over and I shot it with my X100S. It was back in those, so it's it's probably five, six years old. This picture, right? Still one of my favourite ones. Um, and yeah, it's it's you know it's a tender moment. One one picture, that's it. One picture, one frame, uh, one frame. You nailed it. One frame, one frame. You're go a better away. man than me. No, but it was not about nailing it. It's about not not wanting to upset the apple cart. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, true. I'd rather have, I'd rather have, you know, got a picture that's not technically perfect yeah. and allowed them to carry on having their moment than. Yeah than have an effect on the moment and have a technically perfect picture. So six, so it's 23 for you because uh-huh. you, you like the 23mm the length. For me, uh-huh. it's the, the 16. Now, you see, the 16 for me is just, I don't know, It's for me it just feels a little bit, well, I do use it occasionally. And uh, as we mentioned, I think last week, the, the 16mm f2.8 lens is out now. And that, that's mm. a lens that does interest me because mm. I have the 16mm um, 1.4 but I just never use it and maybe it's because of the size maybe it's because I'm I don't know lazy or whatever but I feel that the 16 2.8 because it's smaller and lighter might be something that I'll pop on one of the cameras and see how I get on with it um, of course I have to buy it first which I'll, I'll get around to doing yeah, yeah. Um, but the yeah I technic- tip, typically like 18 I use occasionally as well these days I really love the 18mm lens 
Um, that's one I really hope that Fujifilm will update in the future. I'd love to I've see got them that do 18. that. Yeah, that's such a small lens as well. I keep nice the eighteen millimeter on the uh, my XT two. Mm. I use the XT two only when I go out with the family. The XT. I don't tend to use my XT threes. Funny enough, for anything other than professional work and uh, filming. Uh, so if I'm filming or yeah but that's that's the same as me you see the the xt range for me are functional cameras they're not fun cameras and you know quite open about this the x pro x100 yeah i wish i sold both my x pro 2s and i wish i'd have kept one just one Mm. when's the x pro 3 coming out then (laughs) i don't know Shall we grill Kev on this one? When's the X Pro Three coming? Uh, honestly, out, I have no idea. I'm not involved Looking in my anything eyes. like that. Do, 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 yeah. do, 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 do. Um, actually, I don't even know if we'll ever get an X Pro Three. Really? Well, because we've skipped a generation. You know, if you look really? at the order of things, yeah, it didn't. It's it's kind of been left left away. Um, and uh, you know, and I'm kind of half of me is like, what can they make? How can they make the X Pro Two better? Well. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'd like to see an X Pro Three with the guts of the XT Three in it. That's yeah, what well, like maybe, maybe. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Should we move on? Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> okay. Um, oh, that's it. That's it for another week. Time, gentlemen, please. Is that it? Yeah. But oh. well, did you want to go on further? Oh, did we? Um... Have you got homes to go to? <laughs> Come on, gentlemen. Have you got homes to go to? Didn't we, what have we missed? Uh, no, I think that was it. Yeah. We've got everything. That was okay. Meeting adjourned. Meeting Thank adjourned. you very much. Well done, everybody. Next week. Ladies and gentlemen, come back with biscuits. Mm. That's it for for this week then. Um, Next week on the show, I love the subject that we've got next week. Give it its full title. Gear Acquisition Syndrome. Have you got gas? I've uh, I was I, I've got so much footage for a YouTube film I I've been wanting to make about gas. And um subsequent in that time, funny enough, that the X Pro twos were in that film. Because uh, um, I was really favouring the XT twos and yeah. stuff like that. I know you bought more stuff. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although I did sell all my Canon gear, so so to be fair, um, you can't accuse me of gas, but in in that respect. But next week we're talking about gas and the, the people that just bought buy and buy and buy and buy and buy. Yeah, buy and buy. yeah. And I include myself in that. Yeah. Well, your camera bags, aren't you? That's your gas mm. problem. Yeah. And actually, of no war books. Books, yeah. Mm. That's a good gas thing, though, isn't it? Yeah. When is gas good? When is gas bad? Next week, we'll discuss your gas. If you have any gas-related... <laughs> no, no. Thank you for your questions. Uh, please keep sending them in. Click of fujicast.co.uk. It's really, really special, and I mean that, important to us when you do. It shows that people are connecting with the show, which is, which is fantastic. And, well, it gives us material. Yeah. Well, if it weren't for those questions, we would we'd just have to have a little yeah. chat and a cup of coffee every yeah. day. Um, oh, on that note, by the way, do tell us if you'd like to do a little walk around. We we mentioned that, didn't uh, we? Yeah, Brighton. A Let's Bright- do Brighton. A Brighton walk around. Yeah. Who is up for a Brighton walk around? Email us, please, and uh, click at fujicast.co.uk. I think um, we need to. We'll we need to. We, yeah, and it's. I would say it needs to be something like mm, June-ish. Mid-week. Needs to be warmer, doesn't it? it? Needs to be midweek. Yeah, midweek in June. Yeah, let's let's do something like that. And you have if we to... get enough emails, we'll we'll pick a date. Yeah, and you have to like fish and chips, correct? And you have to like pint. Yes. And you have to be prepared to buy Kev. Um, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about that. Right, payoff this week. Are we, have you got Al- Albie yet? Has he done no. his playoff yet? He's terrified. Oh, Albie, we need your. Payoff. I might get Gemma to do it. 
Yeah, definitely. In the meantime, it's swear. In the meantime, it's Rosa, who won't be swearing. My dad's Instagram is Kevin Mullins Photography. See his films on YouTube at Documentary Eye. His website is kevinmullinsphotography.co.uk. Or for street workshops, training, and everything Fujifilm, go to f16.clip. And for me, it's Thomas. My dad's Instagram is Neil James. See his films on YouTube at Neil James Photo. His website is neiljames.com. For pictures and one-to-one mentoring. And you can hear his other photography podcast, which is called Breathe Pictures, wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, and don't forget his name is spelled N-E-A-L-E. Thank you as well for the love you spread in the Apple Podcast Reviews for our self-indulgent moment, and thank you to Simpler Straps. Um, Because if you write in and it's a question of the week or a thought of the week, then we're going to send you a Simpler Strap. You've still not chosen the red one, have you? Yeah. We must send that to... um, It's going. I'll sort it out. Uh, Yeah. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.